0: Good morning, Four Points. Good to see you guys this morning. Appreciate you getting tickets and coming out and being with us in person. Uh, Appreciate everybody that's at home watching us live on TV this morning. Uh, It is good to gather together as God's people in whatever fashion we can. Amen? We're called to gather to celebrate and to worship and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And we need some proclamation of his name this morning, don't we? Let me start off with some good news, uh, because we don't have much of that. But yesterday, for the first time in a decade, Americans sent Americans into space. That's awesome. (laughs) Amen. That is good news that is happening right now. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have been paying $85 million a seat to Russia to send our astronauts into space. We've been doing that for a long time. So all I want to say is praise God, and just in case you didn't know, the free market works. <laughs> Get the government out of the way. It's amazing how efficient we can be and how we can do things that are uh, progress our country. Uh, that's good news. However, this week has been shrouded, and I'm so glad we're starting back in Ephesians this morning. I'm so glad we're in Ephesians 4 because it's going to be timely because we need some people of God with gifts that he gives to be the balm of the gospel in this world. Because once again, the world is on fire. And I don't mean that metaphorically this time. I mean, the world is really on fire. This past week, we have seen injustice lead to injustice, lead to injustice lead to injustice. And everybody's mad and everybody's divisive and everybody's angry and everybody's got their point. And it was reminding me, not only of Genesis 3 last week, but it was reminding me of back in World War I era. You know, the world was literally on fire then. And the Times sent a question out to all the Nobel Peace Prize winners, to all the, the scientific world, to all of the philosophers and thinkers. And the one question the Times would have answered is what is wrong with the world? That's the question they asked. And they asked all the the right people, the most important people, the wisest people, the people writing all the books, what is wrong with the world is the question. One of the men who got that letter from the Times was a man named G.K. Chesterton. He was a Christian philosopher, a Catholic, a thinker. And when he got the question, he responded to the Times, and his response was very short and very sweet. Again, the question is, what is wrong with the world? The letter he sent back said, Dear Times, I am G.K. Chesterton. Why do I say that? Because we live in a world right now where everyone is pointing the finger at someone else. Some of you are blaming White people, some of you are blaming black people, some of you are blaming law enforcement in general, some of you are... I've heard Donald Trump be blamed. I even heard a, a, a very famous black professor blame Barack Obama for all this. People are trying to blame everyone else for the unrest and for the sin and for the injustice that we have clearly seen this week over and over and over again. I want to remind you, we are all like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we read about last week. We're always looking. It was this woman you gave me. It's that serpent who deceived me. We're always looking at someone else to push the blame off. But what we need to do this morning is to open our own hearts and to look in our own mirror and allow God to change us with you will never ever see it's so depressing it's so depressing we turn on our television you will never see change out there until change first occurs in here so this week who have you been blaming who who whose fault is all this in your eyes i want you to move from that to the mirror of Scripture and allow God to change you from the outs, inside out because it's only with the gospel. There's no force in the world as powerful. I have seen the gospel cause a lifelong alcoholic to put the bottle down. I have seen the gospel change hearts full of hatred and turn them into soft teddy bear, men and women. It is the gospel that is the only force in this world that can truly change the human heart. It is the gospel we need for ourselves. And it is the gospel we need to bear as we move out from our homes and our church into our communities. It is the gospel that brings change. Don't trust a movement. Don't trust a political leader. Don't trust a party. Don't even trust a government. They do what they can. But as we've seen throughout history, it's, it's never, right, the gospel is the power of hope in this world, a power that Paul, again, wants us to grow into maturity. Let's get to Ephesians this morning. Remember, as you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. And I'm going to pray before we begin, but let me just remind you kind of where we're at. Because COVID hit. Everybody forgot about that already this week. but We've been wrestling with that for about two months. Uh, well, more than longer than that. And we stopped Ephesians and we went into some Psalms and then we did a, a lesson in Haggai. We actually did four, four weeks in Haggai and then we did uh, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. But uh, we had just finished the first three chapters of Ephesians when COVID hit. And it's important to remember Ephesians is split up into two parts like most of the writings of Paul. Paul always begins with a heavy understanding of the gospel itself. Remember, Ephesians starts out with orthodoxy because you can never rightly live until you know how to rightly think, right? So we get that gospel in us before we get into these pragmatic chapters of how we're to live uh, in this world, right? Thinking leads to right living. And, And so Paul has been teaching us in the first three chapters of Ephesians that God has a plan, that he's a good father All good fathers have plans, good things in store for their families and for their children. It was God who chose us and predetermined a destiny for us to be in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we have redemption through His blood and forgiveness of sins because God did a work for us in Jesus Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, rich in mercy lavished upon us all of of the grace in Christ Jesus. He saved us. And Paul wants us to grow in our understanding of the hope that we have in Christ. And then he moves and begins in chapter 4 of this great unity that you and I have. Listen, here's one of the reasons I love our church. One reason I love the body of Christ is not just us locally as Four Points it's His people everywhere. We see this stuff on TV that we don't see in our own lives. I mean, everything out there is this magnification of everything that's wrong. But you're know, right, and, and praise God, we live in a, in a nice area. We, we play well together. It's good. My kids in my neighborhood, in our church, we, we man, God's good. There's a unity in Christ Jesus that, that God gives us through the gospel. And, and now calling from that unity, one Lord, one Father, one, one faith, one body, all, this, all these unifying themes that began chapter 4 because of the gospel. We move into verse 7. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, we need you. In times like this we face in our society and our culture, words seem to fall short. But God, your word never falls short. May we lean deeply into what you have spoken, into what you have said. Jesus, may we see your power at work in our own hearts, in our minds, in our lives this morning, because you have given gifts to your people. May we operate in those gifts and thereby bring the only true change that can occur in this world through the power of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. But grace was given to each one of us According to the measure of Christ's gift. God the Father has a purpose and a plan. He calls us into that purpose and plan through his son Jesus Christ. Who came and lived the perfect life. We have not died in our place for our sins. And Christ doesn't just save. God's will is not just for us to be saved in Christ. He has gifts that he wants to give us his People and these are gifts of grace. Many of you might be surprised to know that the word charismatic comes from the word charismata from Scripture that means gifts of grace. God has gifts He bestows upon us that He wants us to operate in in this world. Gifts that will reveal his grace, his mercy, the peace that passes all understanding. That only he can give. We are to operate in these gifts that he gives by grace. He doesn't just save us. He empowers us to be effective witnesses of Jesus Christ in this world. That is who we are to be. By great, But grace was given to each one of us according... Now, Please understand because some people get this so wrong. And some people as we move into what is known as the five-fold ministry gifts, some people say these are this is these gifts are just for professional ministers. Listen, there are books of the Bible where Paul speaks directly to just professional ministers. We, we know those books. We know the things that Paul says. We know the roles of professional ministers very well. By the way, those, those roles of professional right, ministers in Scripture are called elders and deacons. We see that clearly in Philippians 1, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. Those, those things are clearly seen in Scripture. Paul has been speaking to a church from Chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6. Paul says to each one of us, this grace, these gifts have been given. So understand, God has a role and a purpose for you as his man, as his woman. This morning for not only your life, not only for your family, not only for your neighborhood, but for us as his people in this world. We are the ambassadors we are called in 2 Corinthians ambassadors of Christ Jesus himself and he gives us all the tools we need everything that is necessary for us to represent him well. And let me just ah oh, man I might start meddling already I'm sorry. But you Facebook warriors, listen, we all, we all think politically we're right in our own eyes and man, we can fix everything. Listen, go back this past week on your Facebook feeds and ask yourself the question, what have I been an ambassador of this week? That's a dangerous question, isn't it? That's a painful question. Not for me, because I'm not on social media. (laughs) ha. People keep telling me I'm stupid for not being on social media because it's such a great tool. But listen, I don't miss a thing about it. What a powerful question, though. You know why I got off social media? Because I found myself not representing Christ well and instead representing other things that I think are true, but maybe they are, maybe they're not. I don't know. God didn't say those things. What I know God says is true. And I just, I was, I was getting into fights and disputes and arguments. And you know what's funny? When I got off social media, our church started to grow. <laughs> Go back and ask yourself, look at what you're posting. What are you an ambassador of? Is it the gospel? Is it the only healing balm that can, that can bring true healing to society, to people, to real people? God's given gifts, and we are to be ambassadors for him in his name, for his glory. He gives us everything we need. Therefore, it says, now, before we get to the gifts, though, let's get through some very difficult verses. They're actually not very difficult, but people make them difficult. Verse 8: Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now here's what a lot of people try to do. A lot of people try to answer a theological question with verses like this. And the question they're trying to answer is, where was Jesus... During the time between his death and his resurrection where did he go right the first earliest creed we have known as the apostles creed says he descended into hell and and so uh, theologians for years have been trying to figure out where was jesus between his death and his resurrection did he go into hell and did he preach to the the, the demons that are, are trapped there uh, that that he had come and they were defeated uh did did he go to a place called right when jesus was on the cross he said i go to a place you will be today with me in paradise to the thief who was converted there on the cross beside him today you'll be with me in paradise oh well, what, where is paradise where what is this place of the of the dead what is sheol and hades and all these words mean where did jesus go listen that's a great question would you like to know my thoughts thank you josh heidi appreciate you guys i'm gonna tell you what my thoughts are but this is open-handed because the bible doesn't specifically tell us and these verses don't specifically talk about. The reason Paul is writing here is not to answer that theological question for us. We'll talk about that in a second. But my own personal belief is because Jesus tells a parable about what happens when people die. And he paints a picture. If you remember Lazarus and the rich man, he paints a picture. When someone dies, they go to the place of the she, the place of the dead, Hades in the Greek. And the place of the dead was split into a by a chasm. There was a place of the unrighteous dead, and there was a place of the righteous dead, as Jesus' parable explains. And I believe when Jesus died on the cross, what he did, because how were people in the Old Testament saved? They were saved through faith. The same way we're saved. God's grace upon them through his His choice of them. God didn't choose the Philistines. He chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. He to- chose Jacob. He revealed his will to them and it was counted to them as righteousness when they believed what God said. They believed when God said, I'm going to send a Savior who's going to save you from your sin. They believed what God said. It was counted to them as righteousness, but Jesus hadn't come. He hadn't lived the perfect life yet. He hadn't died in their place for their sins. So when the Old Testament righteous in faith in what God says died. They had to go to a place which was called paradise. Jesus calls it in his parable Abraham's bosom. The bosom of Abraham. And they go to this place that is a good place for them to go and wait upon because they looked forward to the promise while we look back to what has already been done. When we die now there is no holding place any longer. When we die to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So I believe when Jesus died on the cross he goes into the righteous part of the place of the dead Abraham's bosom uh, and he proclaims the gospel hey you believed it was counted you as righteous and now it's been fulfilled incarnation has happened I have come your sins are completely forgiven through through my blood and he empties paradise and takes them into eternal glory with God the father where we all go now when we die that's my personal belief about it doesn't matter though because that's not what this is saying I'm tired already. The context of these verses, and listen, Abraham, that's that's a great way to answer the question, I think. I think it's one of the most biblically faithful ways to answer the question of what happened to Jesus between his death and between his resurrection. However, you can't bring verses like Ephesians 4 into that, even though it may harmonize a little bit. You can't take places like 1 Peter with those, those uh, captives in prison in the, in the days of uh, Noah. People try to take verses out of context to justify and harmonize what they believe about different theological issues. The context clearly here. Paul quotes from Psalm 68. That's the context for these verses. And what does is, what is Psalm 68 describe? It describes the triumph of the divine warriors. Right? God's warrior, the Messiah describes the work of Jesus Christ. The divine warrior is going to leave a throne, going to leave his place of glory, and he's going to come down and move on to the battlefield, and he's going to fight all of his enemies, and he's going to slay them. He's going to be completely victorious over all of his enemies, and when his enemies have been defeated, and we know from multiple scriptures that Christ defeated even the last enemy, death itself. When he rose from the dead, he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. Jesus Christ comes from his throne, defeats all of his enemies. They're, they're no longer viable. They, they're, they're slain on the battlefield. And so the warrior, divine warrior, takes all the spoils of war and he ascends back up his holy hill and he sits on his throne in triumph and all the spoils of war, right? To the victor, get the spoils. That is historical reality when one company buys another company, right? They get it all. It's the way things work in the world. To the victor come the spoils. So Jesus Christ is victorious over all of his enemies. All the spoils of war belong to him. But he doesn't just hoard them up for himself in a trophy room. Instead, he takes these spoils and he gifts them to his people. Listen, if you're going to receive a gift from anybody, receive it from the Lord Jesus. He's got the best gifts, amen? He's conquered all of his enemies. None can stand against him. Moving now to verse 11. I'm actually doing pretty good. And he gave. Let me just read all five of these real quick. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, again, some will tell you, and, and there's, some, there's some great guys out there who I love, trust, have learned from that will tell you the, these are just professional, you know, these are the elders in a church, these are the professional ministers here that he gives these gifts to, but I don't believe that for several reasons. Number one, again, you don't see elders and deacons in this list. This list starts with apostles and then moves to prophets. Some people say the apostles here are the capital A apostles. Who were the capital A apostles? Those 12 men who followed Jesus, they were called his disciples until Jesus rose from the dead and commissioned them as sent ones into the world to go preach the gospel and baptize believers in my name, teach them everything that I have taught you. And that's when the disciples began to be called the apostles because the apostle means sent ones. That's all that word means. We over-spiritualize almost everything in the Bible. Apostle means one who is sent. So the disciples, the ones who followed Jesus, became the ones who were sent out. But there is a difference in the original apostles and a gift of apostleship. What is the difference? Those original apostles saw resurrected Jesus, Paul said, as one untimely born because he came a little later. He said, but uh, in his letter to Corinth, he said, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? Right? The original apostles saw resurrected Jesus in his power and in his glory and they took what Jesus told them. Everywhere Paul writes in the New Testament, he says, I'm not giving you what I, I've learned or what I've made up. I'm giving you what Jesus has given to me. I'm reminding you of what he has spoken. They're God's words, not these men's words. Why can there be no longer any capital A apostles? Because those guys heard from Jesus and wrote the New Testament. And guess what? No one in the world today has authority to add to this book. The scripture is clear. This canon is closed. Nothing's to be added to it. Nothing is to be taken away. There are no more men who follow Jesus and saw Jesus rise in power and glory and take what he physically spoke to them and write it down. So there are no capitalists. This is not talking about offices here. This is talking about gifts that God gives. And there is a gift of apostleship. No one will be like Paul, no one will ever be like Peter again. When you see that guy in the charisma magazine, that's Apostle So-and-So, he can't write in new books of the Bible. Gift so, the role, the office is over, just like the office of prophet. This can't be talking about professional ministers. Because the office of prophet is clearly over. Uh, Hebrews 1 tells us, no longer, how did God speak to his people in the Old Testament? He would send a prophet to say, thus saith the Lord. Hebrews 1 is clear. Jesus has come. No longer am I going to speak through the prophets. Now I speak through my son, my son alone. We have the words of the son here. This is not talking about offices. This is talking about gifts. God gives to his people, men and women. Paul's clear. There is one authority a woman shouldn't have in the church. That's the the office of, of elder. She shouldn't speak with an elder authority. But Paul also says, I do not forbid a woman to prophesy. That's a speaking role. It's a speaking gift. We're fixing to get into some stuff. Aaron's with me. And he gave first the apostles. Again, what does the word apostle mean? One who is sitting Now, Listen, every one of you in here, you may have thought. We're fixing, we're fixing to talk about these giftings. And some of you may have thought, well, this is just my personality. All your life you may have thought, well, God just wired me this way. Well, uh, this is just my personality. It's who I am. What I hope happens today is this light bulb just goes off. God just flips the light switch as he shows you it's not just your personality. It's not just some, some DNA strand that's been in your lineage. But God gives certain As we talk through these roles, I want you to see the hand of God at work in your life, making you who you are, giving you. Or there, there's something that you do that others can't do. Right, God's given me a gift for whatever reason. He's allowed me to to see complex theological issues and boil them down and and to to make them easy for people to understand. It's just a gift that he's given me. But guess what? There's a lot of gifts I don't have, like counseling. That's not one of my gifts. I know everybody always wants to meet with me. Listen, there's better counselors in our church than me. I sit down with people and the man says, well, she does this. And I look at her and I say, stop that. And then she says, well, he does this. And I go, look at him, stop that. This is easy. I'm a terrible counselor. It's not my gift. There are things about you, about who you are, that God has uniquely hardwired gifts that he has given you. where You can be successful sometimes in a relationship or in a certain place or in a, 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 a situation that needs to be diffused. Right? There are gifts that God gives everyone, men, women, every man or woman of God. God gifts, God uses, God works them for his glory, for his purposes. I want you to know, hopefully today as we read this, you'll go, oh, that's who I am. It's what God's doing with me. So you can realize and begin, and begin to grow and making God better known through how he's natu- what he's naturally doing in you. And he gave first the apostles. Again, what does it mean to be an apostle? Apostle simply means one who is sent. Is there a place? What does that look like today for you? Is there something? What is it in this world that just makes you pound your fists on the table? When you look out in the world and you just, whatever it is where you're going, that's wrong. Somebody needs to do something about that. Chance are that's the gift of apostle working in your life. You feel specifically sin. We we have uh, several people over this past COVID. There was just this need that they saw that they wanted to fill. And by the way, again, these are not offices, right? There's no platforms. For a lot of this it 's just you in real life in real time you don 't have to go out and start an organization but some people just they, they see a need and they go, "You know what i want to feel, I feel called to to meet that need right and they start making meals and they come to the church and other people go. I want to be part of that, right? There's this sent call of I want to be. I want to be part of meeting needs that we have currently, and, and needs change all the time. So, so you be called and feel led to do uh, this right now, and it may be something else next month. But, but we all have that. As a, as a church planner, I felt a specific calling to plant a church. I didn't know why, I didn't know how, I didn't know anything about it, but I just felt like I was being called out of ministry. To plant a church. And we didn't know where we were going. We're driving around trying to figure out where are we going to go. And we drove through Ackworth and we just felt sent to this place. That's God's gift working in our lives. Bringing us to the place where he wants us to do the things that he wants us to do. If you have the gift of apostle... Right? It's when you're able to go somewhere where there, there's not any ministry happening, and by God's power and by God's Spirit, you're able to make, to plant the seeds of the gospel, and it begins to grow there, it begins to minister, it begins to, to meet the needs of people. Again, don't over spiritualize any of this. We're gonna get to profit in a second, which I think is kind of the hardest one to understand. But if you, if you spiritualize it, it gets weird quick because you think that's soothsaying and, and, oh, the Lord is telling me. That... No. Do you feel called? What's making you pound your fists on the table? Where do you see needs that you feel uh, for whatever reason that you are able to, by God's grace, meet those needs, to go and to meet those needs? It's the gift of apostle. That God gives his People. Because there are needs in this world. And he calls us to be his hands and feet. So he'll raise someone up to say, I need to go to there and do this. I, just, I have to. It's a gift of apostle. Next, the prophets. And again, this can't be talking about Old Testament prophets because God doesn't need them anymore. He has his son he speaks through. So what is the role of prophet? You know, when you go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, there's a lot of uh, yeah, Romans 12. There's a lot about the gift of prophecy. It's actually called one of the best gifts uh, that God gives in Scripture. And people automatically, when they think of prophecy, they think of some foretelling of the future. And, and people get weird. And, woo, right, Dr. Huey. But that's not what's going on here. Paul in Thessalonians says, do not despise Prophecy, what is prophecy in its simplest form? Prophecy is simply this. Declaring the oracles of God. What Jesus Christ has done, what he has spoken. A prophet never speaks from his own, uh, or, or from a, a, a woman who, I do not forbid women to prophesy. We never speak from our own opinions, our own our own thoughts. It's a, pro, a true the person with a gift of prophecy is one who just simply declares, opens the Bible, and declares the oracles of God. You know what I find fascinating? Is most people in this world who call themselves Christians, are you quote a Bible, or they don't even know you're quoting a Bible verse. It's foreign to them. So why does God raise up prophets? Why do, why, again, not the role of prophets. Why, why does God give this gift to, to men and women? Because people need to know his word. And they know, this is not just a teaching. This is a confidently, with authority, looking at somebody and saying, hey, you're living in sin. This is what God says about that. You need to repent and come to God, and he will help you, and he will be with you. And I say this because I love you, and you need to know God's word. That's the role of the gift of prophecy in Scripture. It's declaring the oracles of God in a way that causes people to repent and to turn back to God. It's the gift of prophecy. And we need prophet moms, prophet dads, prophet neighbors, right? To speak what God has spoken, what he's done through his son, Jesus. We don't need new theology. We don't need new anything. Everything that we need, we've been given. We need to declare it and declare it in a way that is confident, that's what the gift of prophecy does. It declares with confidence and authority the oracles of God. Next we have the evangelists. Praise God for evangelists. Now here's what that, again, these aren't roles. Some of you automatically, I know what an evangelist is. He's a guy who comes in and we go to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for a whole week, and he preaches instead of the pastor. I don't know where we got that idea. I actually have family who consider themselves evangelists and they're always mad at me cuz I never let them come to our church and do what they want to do. I'm serious. You wouldn't believe the stuff I have to go through. I'm disappointing family all the time. You can't come to our church and do that cuz I don't it's weird. An evangelist is not some full-time Person who's running around with their own ministry—you don't see that anywhere in the Bible. You know what you see in the Bible? Churches raising up people and sending them out to plant more churches. That's what you see in the Bible. You don't see this this weird stuff. So, what is the gift of evangelism that some of you have? The gift of evangelism is when God has uniquely gifted you to talk to someone who is outside the faith about the faith in a way that intrigues them and interests them. It's it's when praise God for, we're going to talk about teachers and pastors here in a second, shepherds. Praise God for people who can communicate to other Christians, but praise God also for people who can talk to non-Christians about Jesus in a way that doesn't turn them off, in a way that is intriguing to them, in a way that makes... Makes you go, hmm. Nobody, some of you got that. Things that make you go. I don't even remember who's saying that, but right. Do you see how? Do you see how good God is? Do you see how He has uniquely gifted His body? We're fixing to see this body imagery. We see it in other places. Gifts are mentioned too. Many parts. One body, all moving, all this gifting, all the, all these appendages, all these different parts leading up to one unified head, Jesus. Do you see how we need all these people with all these giftings? Praise God for the apostle who sees sin and calls out sin and, and proclaims the gospel. Right? But you can't just have that. You need an evangelist to come alongside and And explain things in a way to an unbeliever that you can't explain the way you do to a believer. we, We need all these gifts, all this. We need people who are sent to meet needs. We need all of these gifts in the church to be effective, hands and feet of Jesus that glorifies him, the head. You guys with me, right? Next, the shepherds. Some of your Bibles will say the pastors. I don't know why in the world, in... Our English world. We call people who do what I do, pastors. Because in the Bible, they're called elders. In the Bible, in Acts 20, 1 Peter 5, you see these men who are supposed to lead the church, they are called, they are to oversee day-to-day operations. There are finances, there are buildings being built and rented, there are ministry needs. Everyone's there's there to oversee. And you know what they are also, even though they're called elders, they are to poi men, to pass, to shepherd people, to walk alongside people. It's a small uh, function of what an elder in a church does. But when the word poi men it shows up with, paired with elder, episkopos or presbyteros, elder or uh, bishop, overseer, it's always in verb form. This is in noun form. Because this is not talking about the role of a pastor, what we call a pastor today. This is talking about a gift that God gives people. And some of you have this gift. And some of you need to exercise this gift. Because a, someone who has a shepherding gift is able to, number one, love someone exactly where they're at. You know what prophets have a hard time with? People with a gifting like that, they have a hard time loving someone where they're at. Prophets are all about truth. God says this, and it's true, and you're wrong, and suck it. There's a lot of people out there that have, that have a true gifting, but they're so hardcore. Right? We need all these gifts working together. We need... Shepherds who can love someone even if they're not right in their theology, even though they're struggling with with sin, even right wherever it is they are, a shepherd can come along somebody, never justifying where they're at, but who can love people exactly where they're at and who can gently right as as a shepherd in a field full of sheep who can protect from wolves and, and who can lead into green pastures right a shepherd is someone who can love someone where they're at for who they are right there at that time whether good or bad and gently begin to lead them and if they begin to stray what does a shepherd do the shepherd takes their lasso actually it's a it's a stick with a hook in the old times but for my cowboy imagery let me just say Because it makes better sense. They love, they lead, they lasso. It's just the three L's. It's how we teach shepherding around here. Right? If, If they begin to stray, they can take out their lasso and bring them back in. That's what a shepherd does. Some of you, that's what you've been doing all your life. You just didn't know it was a gift that God has given you to be part of His body and to make much of Him. We need shepherds, amen? Not just... Elder shepherds. Elders do shepherd. It's a function they do as well. But again, some of you are uniquely gifted to shepherd. And finally, we have teachers. Teachers are those who have the unique ability. All right, and if you have a teaching gift, be a small group leader for crying out loud. Get involved in some way or form and use that gift. Because teachers have the ability. this isn't a kind of a preacher, proclamation, confidence, and authority in God's Word, uh, kind of an elder uh, preaching. This is the teaching role. When someone has a question, man, I just don't understand what the Bible means. A teacher is able to come alongside them and go, well, let me show you. Let's read the, the three verses before that verse and the three verses after. And let's see the context. And, and we get a little more insight. They're able just to, to, to teach we live in an educated area. Most of us have been to some form of school. Raise your hand if you've been to any kind of school. right? How many of you know there are good teachers, there are bad teachers? There are teachers who clearly are not gifted and called to teach, yet they are teachers. <laughs> and there are people who are uniquely gifted by God to communicate truths. And people with that gift, they're special. My, my son it, took some college classes this this past semester, he's got a history teacher who's just not a teacher. You guys know me, right? My kid knows history. I've been teaching my kid history since he was wee big. My kid has been to the places where history has happened. And he, he comes home, and I'm like, how'd you do on your history test? It's American history. This is a t-ball for my kid, right? He's like, ah, dad, I got a, you know, a 64. I'm like, what? You don't get a 64 in American history. You're not my son. (laughs) But then he shows me the test. And the test is so obtuse and ridiculous. One of the questions was, what was the greatest fear of an American Indian? Being killed, being separated from his family. Just four terrible things. It's impossible. All of the above, you know? But no, it was being ripped away from his family. I'm like, ah, oh, that's a stupid question. There are people who are just bad teachers. But there are people who are gifted to help people learn and grow in a way that's fruitful and beneficial. That's a gift. Do you have it? Are you, do you have any of these gifts? Are you using them? Why? Does God gift Why should we use gifts? Because this is how, in God's body, He equips His people. He gives these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, notice He says, He doesn't say to equip the elders for the work of ministry. None of you are chuckling. Who does the work of ministry? We live in this upside-down world where we think, well, the pastor's going to do that. Well, the youth pastor's got the discipleship of my kids. I don't really have to do anything. Responsibility for your children is we try to help and assist as God's people, but the responsibility falls on the parents, right? Just like the work of ministry in this world, being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, yes, we're here to equip and to serve and to help, but the, the, the role of ministry in the world falls upon the saints. So as the saints, we've got to use gifts that God has given us to equip all those around us so we can do more. March like a mighty army in the name of Jesus for His glory. Ministering in His name. Being lights in the world. A world that is full of darkness to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Right Here's that body imagery. None of us are. Unity that led us into these gifts that God gives is not uniformity. There is great diversity in the body. We're not all the same thing. Some of you might say, well, I've only been a Christian six months. Well, guess what? Right now you're the armpit of the body. We take special care of people like you. (laughs) And for those of you who have been Christians a long time, come on. Where are you? Are you the hands? Are you the feet? Are are you speaking? Are you a mouth? Are Are you ears that are listening? We need all the parts of the body to work together. The church needs everybody and everybody needs the church because Christ is the head. He's in charge. We want to be part of what, not our own agenda, but what he's doing in the world. And that starts here among us. Are you using your gifts to build up, to equip, so that we can be the body of Christ in this world? Until we attain to the unity, we got to start hurrying. I got three minutes. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Again, what is Paul's aim in Ephesians from the very beginning? He wants Christians to grow, he wants Christians to mature. He doesn't want us to stay babies just on the spiritual milk, he wants us to acquire a taste. Some of you vegetarians are going to hate this. He wants us to acquire a taste for that good two inch, medium, rare filet mignon of the gospel. (laughs) Right? Listen, by grace we are saved. There are going to be immature Christians that make it to heaven. Why? Because God's grace is that big and He's that good. But his aim is not for us to stay babies. His aim is for us to grow, to attain. Listen, let me, ask, let's just get real, real, real. Because our church in the past has suffered from slander and gossip and backbiting and people growing coups against other people and talking bad about this group over here is mad at this group over here. There has been some real chaos that has, that has brought pain and hardship to the body. Is that what God wants? What does God want? He wants us to grow up. He wants us to see our own sin instead of judging somebody else over there. He wants us to work on ourselves. He he wants us to use gifts that he's given us to love one another and to to build with us so that we can attain not disunity, but unity. We are to be a glaring example of the perfect uniformity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants us to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to. Notice none of these gifts are to build, us, to build us up personally. None of these gifts are given to us so that we can have our own website. These gifts are given for the good of the entire body. No, no apostles over here getting a lot of credit. Jesus is getting a lot of credit because the body's working right, and he's the head. Everything we do in this world, we, want, we don't want to do and say, hey, everybody, look at us. We got T-shirts. We're the best. That's not who we want to be. We want we—we we don't even want people to see us. We want people to see Jesus. We want pe- everything we do, every video we show, every sermon we preach, we want people to walk away and go, Jesus is just the greatest how good is he? That's how we use our gifts is to attain unity in this body so that Jesus Christ can be glorified. That's what you're doing, glorify him. Are you squandering? Are you, did you get that talent and did you bury it in the ground? And are you sitting on it? What he's given you, are you using? And maybe it's not here. Maybe it's something else. There are gifts of generosity, gifts of administration. There's all kind of gifts uh, that, that Paul teaches God gives his people. Are you using? Right here we just have these five-fold. Are you using whatever he's given you to make much of him? Do people look at your life, look at your family, look at your home? Do they walk in and go, these people are kind of they like Jesus. Until we attain, i got to hurry, I'm already late, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that that, that we may no longer be children, immature, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Why do we open the Bible every Sunday? Because there are other voices out there that want to pull you away from what God says. So we want to constantly be reminded, God, what do you say? Because you have the words of life. Listen, there are wolves. There are almost every book. Philemon, Paul doesn't include it because he's just writing to one man about one issue. But almost every book that Paul writes, every book that John writes, every book that Peter writes, they all warn the church against false teachers. And when you're immature, when you're a baby, when you're not growing in Christ, you are privy to everything somebody says and and the philosophies of mankind, the, the, the powers of the prince of, of the, the prince of this air, Satan. Right? All false teaching is the doctrine of demons, Paul says. And you just get tossed around and you don't know what to believe and you don't know what's right, what's wrong and so you better stay in this book. You better grow in the gifts that God gives. If, if you need some, teach, find someone with a teaching gift and let them teach you. Because there are false teachers out there. Verse 15 rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. How can this be just about elders? Every joint, right? Every one of us, you're not. I apologize. I'm late, but any of you ever seen Star Trek? And I'm going to butcher this because I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, but somebody used to wear a Star Trek shirt to church all the time. I think it was, I want to say it was red. Red. Or maybe it was green, I can't remember. And I just asked him one day, I was like, what's the deal with the Star Trek shirt? And he was like, well, if you've ever watched the show, you know everyone who wears this shirt on that show is expendable. They usually die at some point. So you can see it coming before it happens. If they got a red shirt, they die. So the the joke is, everybody's wearing these red shirts, say I'm expendable. No one in the body of Christ is expendable. No one in the body of Christ exists for no purpose, for no reason. God calls us in as his children. He wants us as part of the body. And he wants, he gifts us, and he wants us to be effective and use those gifts he gives. Every joint's important. We all have to equip one another. Joint Held together, every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up and love. If there's ever been a time in our society, I mean two months of COVID craziness into the world literally burning down, there needs to be a physical representation of a mature body in which Jesus Christ is clearly the head of, a body that grows itself and attains unity and reveals love. Look back at your feeds this past week. Who are you an ambassador of? Study the gifts of grace mentioned in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. What gifts has God uniquely given to you? Are you using those gifts? Because without every single person God has called to Himself, this thing doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. We need one another to grow and attain the unity we have in Christ and to reveal His glory to this world. This is way less about pastors than you ever realized. This is way less about organized religion than you ever realized. This is about real people being the real body of Christ in the world. It takes every single one of us. Here's the good news. God gifts us for this purpose. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. And Father, I hope today what I said was true when I said, We want everything we do, every sermon preached, every video played, every song sung, we want people to walk away with this overwhelming understanding that God, you are good and that Jesus is the greatest. Father, you are the best thing that has ever happened to our lives. You are the best thing that has ever come down into this world to to live how we couldn't, to die in our place, to to shower us with grace and mercy and peace. May our lives be representative of this glory that you have bestowed upon us. It is in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you guys for being here. And as Ben Cooper, who really came alive today, said, don't touch anybody, don't talk to anybody. Just (laughs) kidding. Talk to everybody. Just COVID elbow. Love you.